All right, good morning and welcome to Ladies Bible Study. I'm glad there's a lot of faces here. I was worried today would be an empty room. I feel like there's a lot of sickness going around, so I'm thankful you're here. Um, and for those who are sick and are joining on podcasts, we're glad you're here too. Um, but we're glad you stayed home and kept us not sick. Um, anyways, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I have just loved going through First Peter so far. Um, I just feel like it has been a beautiful and a timely reminder that as believers, we are called to stand firm in a hostile world. Um, so as I was preparing for this morning, I was sitting in Utah's office, and I looked up to see this little bonsai tree um, on his bookshelf. At least I think that's what it's called. Don't quote me on that. Um, it's also plastic and from Ikea, so, <laughs> but I think the illustration will still stand. Um, we cannot keep plants alive to save our lives, guys. It's a real problem. Um, but looking at this tree, it brought to mind the imagery of Psalm 1, uh, where believers are compared to strong, fruitful trees that are planted by streams of water. And I'm just thinking that our, our God, he is he's the soil, he's the nutrients, he's that bedrock foundation, he's that living water. Um, who he is and what he has done through Christ are all that is needed for our lives and for our fruitfulness. Um, so I was just thinking through this picture, and, and as we've walked through 1 Peter, we've, gotten to, um, we've been able to peel back a little bit of that soil. We've been able to, to, to look at our deep roots, um, the, our deep roots of our identity, at what ties us to our Father. And I was just thinking in, in chapter 2, you know, it, it calls us children of God, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. As 2 verse 10 tells us, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As believers, we are rooted to a great and loving and merciful Father, one who will hold us fast when the storms blow against us. And our God, he is a living stone, a foundation that is immovable, unchanging, and good. Because of this reality, because of, of what and who we are rooted in, God has equipped us for life and fruitfulness. He has given us all that we need to grow up in him and bear fruit. He's given us his word, relation, relationship with him, and the relationships within the church. And as such, he has called us to great fruitfulness, to great holiness. Another theme we've seen um, throughout First Peter. Now, our roots, they run deep. And because of this, we're able to stand firm and bear fruit. But that doesn't mean we live in the Garden of Eden. In one sense, you could say we are like a lone pine tree on the side of a rocky mountain face. We are threatened by winds that seek to uproot us, by hikers who seek to pull at us and perhaps pluck off our fruit for a tasty snack. Um, and we face like pine beetles who seem to infest and infect us from the inside out. In human terms, we face persecution, reviling, insults, malice. We face the temptation to live as we did before we knew Christ, or to do the things our unchristian society calls normal, or the things that they prioritize. And then we face our own fears and doubts and temptations from within. And this is why God has given us, and the first century church, the book of 1 Peter. He wants to remind us that we can stand firm in a hostile world, to remind us of our identity in Christ and the surety of our salvation. And to call us to a life of fruitfulness, to holiness, 
to prepare us for the suffering and persecution that will come, and to root us in the future hope and glory that is to be revealed. And how can we know this is all true? Because Christ has gone before us. Um, in chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, it tells us, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. And then later on, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And then in chapter 4, verse 13, it says, But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So with that, let me pray, and then we'll read through our text for this morning in chapter 4. Let me pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity to come and to sit under your word. Um, I pray that you would just help me to be clear this morning. And um, I pray that the only words that these women would, would remember moving up forward from this morning would be what's from you. And that all that's from me would just fall away, Lord. Um, so please just convict our hearts and help us to see you this morning. We pray this in your name. All right, so we're looking here in chapter 4, verses 7 through the end of the chapter. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time... For judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now I'm going to follow in the footsteps of one commentator um, and break our text this morning into two main sections. So the first will be um, verses 7 through 11, um, which look at Christian community in view of the end times. And then our second point will be verses 12 through the end, Christian suffering in view of the end times. Now last week, my family was visiting, and on the one nice sunny day that we had, um, my dad took Noah out to the street, the cul-de-sac in front of our house, and took the training wheels off of his bike. Um, Noah was really excited about it, and after a few times of Grandpa running behind him and holding the seat, 
with his hand on the seat. Um, Noah was able to get a feel for it, and eventually he was going the whole length of the cul-de-sac um, by himself. So you still need to work on steering and stopping. He hasn't quite gotten that, but, um, <laughs> but it reminded me of when my dad taught me how to ride a bike. Similarly, he took me out to the cul-de-sac in front of our house, and he would put his hand on the back of the bike and say, okay, honey, just, just trust me, and, um, and run with me until, until I got the feel for it. And I would hesitate and tell him, I don't, I, I'm scared, I'm not, I'm not ready. He would continually say, trust me, sweetie, just trust me, just trust me, sweetie. Um, he was asking me to do something that seemed really scary on the basis of my greater trust in him. And as believers, this life can seem pretty scary. It can be hard to walk in righteousness in a world that can be hostile. But God holds on to us and says, trust me, sweetie. The end of all things is at hand. So we must entrust ourselves to our Father and live as he has called us. Now, the end of all things is at hand. We see that at the very outset of our passage. Um, I don't think I'm the only one who gets a little bit nervous at this statement. I mean, obviously, there is great joy at these words. The end of times means the end of tears, the end of death, of mourning and crying and pain, the end of cancer, and loneliness and goodbyes. But the end of all things also means judgment. Final judgment for those who do not know Christ and increasing judgment and hostility towards believers until the glorious ushering in of God's forever kingdom. The nearness of the end times should motivate us to walk as God has called us. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded Love one another earnestly, show hospitality to one another, and use your spiritual gifts to serve one another. These are things that can only be done in Christian community, in the church. When we are attacked from all sides, we need to know where to turn for strength and encouragement. We were not made to be lone rangers. We were not made to be that lone pine tree on the side of the mountain. We need to be like that thick forest of trees that finds collective resolve and strength from one another. So let's look at these specific ways we are called to live within Christian community. First, we see that we are called to be self-controlled and sober-minded. These words carry a connotation of sobriety, of restraint, and level-headedness, despite the dangers and fears of the time. We aren't to be blown about by controversies or vain discussions. We are to know what is true and not allow ourselves to be sidetracked by the world's way of thinking. This reminds me of James' illustration of the empty semi-truck on a windy Saskatchewan highway. The church and each believer within ought to stay the course of truth and not be blown about by the shifting winds of culture and, um, and the world. Peter also notes that the self-control and sober-mindedness is for the sake of our prayers. As one commentator put it, let's get very direct in application. If we fill our minds with the news, email forwards, and obsession with personal health, or I would add here, COVID conspiracy theories, or economic fears and fluctuations, um, there's a lot we could be filling our minds with. Um, but if we did that, our prayers will be impotent. Um, we'll be so focused on the here and now that we'll be unable to think with any biblical perspective. But if we fill our minds with scripture, great hymns and good sermons, 
Our prayers will have power. They'll be oriented toward God's agenda in this world. So we must guard our minds for the sake of our prayers. Now, secondly, um, Peter calls us to love one another earnestly, for love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I didn't read through the whole New Testament to be certain, but in doing a quick search, um, it looks like the command for believers to love one another appears at least 22 times. We need it repeated because it's a hard thing to do. Um, <laughs> and it fights against, against our nature to, to love in a biblical and a, and a rich, real sense. And the word earnestly here means to be persevering, uh, with implication that one does not waver in one's display of interest or devotion. Peter adds on, on here that this sort of love, the unwavering, sacrificial for the good of others love that believers are called to, is so needed within Christian community, within the church, because this kind of love covers a multitude of sins, which I hate to say, but we need. Um, we need this patient, kind, humble, gentle, sacrificial, forgiving, persevering love in order for the church to be sustained in a hostile world. And third, um, we see that Peter instructs us to practice hospitality without grumbling. Well, let me tell you that this was a timely verse to be running through my head this last week. Um, my family came to visit last week, which was so good and such a joy to see. Um, my nephews that I hadn't, one of them I hadn't even met, he just turned two. Um, so it was just a really sweet time with everybody. But with 11 people in our smallish townhouse, um, it felt a little tight, especially when eight of those people ended up with a GI bug at the end of the week. Um, so I needed that reminder of hospitality without grumbling. As I found myself washing every single towel and sheet and blanket in my house, um, I sure was tempted to grumble in my heart that this week did not go as planned. Um, we weren't able to do everything or eat all the food um, that we had thought through. But it was a great lesson for my own heart. Um, that biblical hospitality doesn't mean having the perfect meals prepped. It doesn't mean having spotless floors or perfectly clean towels. Um, it's about coming together as believers. It's about going out of our way to make others feel welcome and loved and included. It's about being able to sit and share struggles of parenting or big decisions and, and, and weighing what is a godly response. Um, it's about, about being able to lift each other up in prayer, to carry heavy burdens, um, to be ready to love and serve and speak truth to those around us, even when it isn't convenient. Now, finally, um, Peter closes his section on living within Christian community with a call to use our spiritual gifts to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, whole sermons have been taught on spiritual gifts, and um, from this passage, or from Romans chapter 12, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's a whole lot more that could be said about spiritual gifts, and, and we're not able to get into all of that this morning. Um, but let me just say that, that when we look around at our church, at MABC on a Sunday morning, we see a variety of people. There are those who've been walking with the Lord for decades. For some, that whole time's been at our church here in, in Georgetown. And um, we see those who've maybe only heard the gospel for the first time within the last year. Uh, there are those who grew up in the church and um, those who are maybe the only believer in their families. 
Likewise, there are those who are gifted at leading worship and those who can make a big conference like Simeon Trust happen like a piece of cake. Thank you, Eva. Not all of us can do that. Um, there are those who can articulate the nuances of different theological conversations um, and those who are able to simplify really big truths for the little hearts in our, in our midst. Um, and again, I'm thankful for those because that is not me. Um, God has put every single one of these believers at our church at this time for a reason. Um, he has brought these giftings and these histories and, um, and, just, and brought us together. And, and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that reason um, is right here in verse 11. It says, In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So let's be careful not to take, um, to take on a consumer mentality when we come to church. As James has said um, before, MABC is not a restaurant, it's a potluck. And there might be somebody else out there who can make a better meatloaf than you, and that's okay. <laughs> there might be someone who can sing and worship or host a growth group better than you, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't. Um, if God's given you a desire and the giftings and the abilities to serve our church family, um, it's important that, that we, we exercise those gifts, that we do those things, even if it pushes us out of our comfort zone. Um, I think of all the ladies that, that teach here. Um, I don't think any of us would say that it's our sure and strong gifting and, and we felt led to it for forever. Um, we're all just stumbling through it and learning and, and studying God's word and then being able to share out of that. Um, applying it to our own hearts. And so I think it's just great to, to not be um, thinking about ourselves and comparing ourselves to the rest in the church and saying, oh, well, she can, I don't know, host a growth group better than I, so I better not, not step up or not offer that. Um, I think it's important that we're all coming together. We're all coming as a church family, as the household of God, and serving one another to the glory of God. Now, when, this, when our church is strong, when the local Christian community is walking together, when we're thinking soberly, when we're loving sacrificially, when we're in each other's daily lives, and we're serving one another in various ways, the church as a whole will be strengthened and equipped um, to withstand the hostility of the world. And we'll be ready, for the end of all things is at hand. Now let's turn to the second half of our text, um, verses 12 through 19, which I've titled Christian Suffering in View of the End Times. I'm just going to read uh, 12 to 14 here. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, beloved friends, um, do not be surprised, but rejoice. Do not be surprised when persecutions come, when you're insulted for the name of Christ, when you aren't invited when you aren't invited to that wedding because you don't celebrate that marriage, um, when you don't get that promotion because you don't, you, you're not willing to bend the policy or um, 
Yeah. Just just go under go with along with the pressure. Um, don't be surprised when your grandchildren or your other family members don't want to spend time with you because you're too judgmental um, or not as inclusive as the world calls us to be. Um, these fiery trials um, mentioned in our text, they include both the systemic um, persecution of Christians today, such as what we think of when we think of China or North Korea. We think, well, that's persecution. That's a fiery trial. But I think here, um, and from studying it, it's also to include um, the insults, the ridicule, the discomfort that we face for following Christ and for being vocal about it. Now, I'd like to add just a few caveats here about this persecution that we face. Obviously, we are so thankful to have the freedom to worship openly and together. However, I, at least I find that I can still find myself hesitant to share Christ with fear, to share Christ with others for fear of being challenged or mocked or misunderstood. Maybe you're hearing this right now and you aren't facing hostility for your faith. This should surprise and concern you. Not that we are looking for persecution, but if we're living our daily Christian lives in this world, then suffering and insults should be the norm. One commentator put it, but the implication is that if we do what we're called to do as Christians, suffering will pursue us. Not that we pursue suffering, but that that suffering will pursue us. Um, so let me challenge you and myself to get out there, to start a conversation with our neighbor or that mom at the park, to get out of the safe zone and ask uncomfortable questions. Do you have a religious background or how have you dealt with loneliness and anxiety of COVID in the last two years? Um, have you thought about what will happen when you die? Um, I'm reminded of a few years ago, was it years? It doesn't feel that. Um, years ago at an evangelism training night that we had just over in the youth room one night. Um, and Grace McDonald share how when she goes to get her haircut, she always asks just a couple minutes into the haircut, hey, have you ever heard about Jesus? Um, and she knows that, hey, I've got this person's ear for the next 30 to 45 minutes to an hour. Um, I'm sure sometimes they're rushing if they don't want to hear, but, um, but she's had some really great opportunities out of that, um, just being able to share the gospel and to share about Christ. And I think that's brave um, and something that, that we're all called to do as believers, and so that's, that's challenging for my own heart. I hope it is for you guys too. Um, just one more clarification here, um, just on, on the topic of persecution and hostility. Um, is that hostility and rejection are not surefire signs that you're on the side of Christ. Um, someone may have the conviction that it's pleasing to God for them to steal or to murder. Um, however, even in our current day, where the number of issues with universal moral agreement are getting smaller and smaller and smaller, um, hopefully such a person would be persecuted and judged. Um, the suffering is not a confirmation that they're following the Lord and honoring him but rather is an extension of God's common grace that there is some level of justice um, and moral grounding left in our culture. So as, again, as one commentator put it, not everyone who's persecuted is of Christ, but everyone who is of Christ will be persecuted. I just felt that that was a really helpful way to think, to think about it. Um, now looking back at our text, we are not to be surprised, but we are to rejoice 
insofar as we share Christ's suffering. Our Lord and Savior was utterly rejected, maligned, insulted, and put to death because the spirit of glory and of God rested on him. Because he dared to say, God's kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let us rejoice when we get just a small taste of that suffering. For as we share in Christ's suffering, so we will rejoice when God's kingdom comes and God's glory is revealed. Plus, as we see here at the end of verse 14, um, it notes that, that when you share in Christ's sufferings, you are blessed. And that the spirit of God and of glory rests upon you. What a promise. And what a hope and comfort for our weary hearts. Well, let me read um, verse 15 through 18. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now this stands to follow that clarification I made that, um, you know, if you're suffering for unrighteousness, that, that's not what we're called to. We're called to suffer for righteousness. Not as murderers or thieves or evildoers or meddlers, but as a Christian. And that then we have no reason to be ashamed. Um, but then we read these verses about judgment. Beginning with the household of God, and the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel. This makes me a little bit uncomfortable, I'm going to be honest. Um, Peter seems to be contrasting the judgment faced presently by believers with the judgment to be experienced in the future by those who have rejected Christ. And this present judgment could include the fiery trials, the, the hostility that we face in this world. Um, but one author just also noted that... Um, that this judgment is also judgment from God. That our world right now is under judgment from God in a small sense. Since Genesis 3 um, and the fall, you know, creation is now broken. We now have sin and death and, and um, alienation from God. Um, so in some sense, we are under a small dose of God's judgment just living in this world. Um, yeah, chaos, disorder, sickness, death. God's judgment has been measured out against sin in this world now in a very minute sense. Um, and if we as Christians are scarcely saved out of it, what does that mean for the final judgment when that full cup of wrath is, is seen? Um, our only hope, our only um, hope in being scarcely saved here is Jesus. is Jesus Christ, but that's all the hope that we need. Even if we're just scarcely saved, that's all we need. <laughs> The judgment that we face in this life is hard. Um, but for those who rejected Christ and the gospel, the judgment that's coming is oh so much worse. Peter includes this reminder of the coming judgment as a motivator for us to not give up. To not try to alleviate our suffering today by capitulating to our culture, but to help us to stand firm against hostility and to know that our suffering today is but a single raindrop of the torrent that is to come. Now, um, verse 19, Peter closes by saying, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will 
entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And to close, Peter summarizes what in some ways the message of his whole letter. Um, Those who follow Christ will suffer. But in light of the end of all things, in light of the coming judgment, because it is God's will for our lives, we can entrust our souls to a faithful God, a faithful creator, and we can continue to walk in righteousness. Um, this is just weaving together threads that we've seen throughout the book. That, that From the beginning, you know, it noted that, that we are exiles. Um, Peter writing, to the elect exiles in the dispersion, um, who've been foreknown, who've been sanctified, who've been um, sprinkled by Christ's blood. And that just shows from the beginning that, that you know, God is in control. He is over all things, and, and he has chosen us um, for a reason. But um, this, this choice to entrust our souls to a faithful God while doing good in the midst of our suffering is a whole lot easier said than done. And that's why we need Christian community. That's why we need to rejoice when we share in Christ's sufferings. And that's why we need to remember that the end of all things is at hand. We need sisters who are going to remind us of who our God is. We need to remember that our God is faithful and that our suffering is according to his will. Even when we face hostility for the sake of Christ, God is still king. He is still in control and he is still good. So sister, entrust yourself to this faithful creator. Only when your heart is fully secure in Christ and your hope is to the world to come, only then can you walk in the godliness, walk in godliness here and now. Um, I'd like to close just with a quick story of a woman who lived this out. Um, pieced together from a book called Reformation Women. Um, it's about a lady named Anna who lived in the early 1500s. Um, she was married to the famous reformer Ulrich Zwingli. And um, her life up to that point is a whole other story. Uh, she was widowed. She um, was destitute for a while. Anyways, long story short, she married Zwingli, who was a minister um, in Zurich at the time of the Reformation. And in many ways, um, he led the Protestant church in, in its breaking away from the Roman Catholic Church um, in, in Zurich and in that area. Um, and this did not come without persecution. You know, Zwingli lived in continual danger of assassination or kidnapping by Roman Catholics. Zwingli um, could not go out alone after dark, and he had to be careful about where he ate or drank for fear of poisoning. Um, And even one night in 1525, their house was stoned, and as rocks sent pieces of wood flying through the house, Anna and the children huddled together, terrified. Could you imagine this happening to your husband? Um, Just a a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety um, for Anna and, and, and for the family. Eventually, in uh, 1531, news came that the Roman Catholic army was approaching. Quickly, a very little um, Protestant army gathered in Zurich, including Zwingli, as well as one of Anna's sons and many other family members. Husband, son, brother, and a cousin did not come home from that battlefield. But for Anna, um, as she was was saying goodbye and the army was leaving to go fight this battle, um, she gathered her children And she prayed, God, not my will, but thine be done. Um, She entrusted her family and herself to a faithful creator. Now, although Anna's suffering was great throughout her life, so much of the record that we have left fills in this picture of a beautiful, godly woman 
who really did suffer according to God's will and entrusted herself to a faithful creator while doing good. Um, she was known for caring for the city's poor, visiting the sick, raising children, receiving refugees, hosting many in her home, and being just a, a useful helpmeet to her husband um, and to his work. And the author of this book um, ends the chapter on Anna's life with saying, Beyond her support of Zwingli and all that she enabled him to do, beyond her care for the poor and the sick of the parish, Anna left a living legacy in her children. She continued her pattern of building up the church through kindness to the saints, and her faithful work outlived her body. Her faithful work outlived her body. That's the legacy that I want to leave, and I hope it is for, for a lot of you guys as well. So let us pray, and then we can um, just spend some time going over the discussion questions. Lord God, um, we just know that, that this life is, is heavy and that at times we can feel weary. Um, we feel the threat of, of just the consequences of sin and death in this world, of disease and illness and, and cancer and so much more, Lord. Um, but then we also face um, persecutions and hostilities from the world because we don't walk like they do. Um, we don't live the way that, that we once did. And so, God, I pray that you would be strengthening all of us um, to stand firm as believers in this world, that you'd be helping us to, to look different from the world, um, to walk as you have called us to walk, even when that's hard. Um, Lord, thank you for the church body. Thank you that we can come together to renew one another, to encourage one another and support. Thank you that we can, we can love one another um, through your power and through your spirit, Lord, working in our lives, and that we can serve one another um, by using our, our giftings and the ways that you have um, poured out your grace in our lives. And God, thank you that, um, that the end is coming and that one day we will see your glory revealed, um, that we will see Christ's return and... Um, yeah, Lord, what a, what a glorious day. So please, please um, strengthen us as we go out this week. Help us to, to walk in a way that's worthy of you, Lord, to have our eyes fixed on our eternal hope. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. <coughs>